Well, good morning, church. I am so glad that I get to be with you this morning. Um, and I'm going to start with a story. Um, when I was growing up, my parents were very hard workers. They weren't Christians. Both had very little interest in faith uh, just due to their upbringings in the church. Both, uh, whenever I was in fifth grade, however, so all my life, you know, grew up without that Christian background. However, in fifth grade, a guy on the bus, he was in our grade, he looked at my sister and I and said, do you want to know about Jesus? And this was a topic that was much different than what's typically talked about on a public school bus, right? You know, he's trying to talk to us about Jesus, um, but he was brave enough this, this fifth grader was brave enough to tell two little girls about Jesus and that if we wanted to know more about Jesus, that we could go to this little church on a hill about a mile from our house. So we did. And that one act of faith from our friend was the start to my faith journey. If it wasn't for that one friend stepping out of his comfort zone and telling my sister and I about Jesus, we probably wouldn't have met Jesus at one of the most pivotal stages of our lives. So evangelism, discipleship, missions, all of these words describe the very heart of God. The heart of God who wants nothing more than be, to be reunited with his children and for his children to make a choice to make a decision to know him and to love him. Little did our friend know, but he was doing all three of these things when he invited us to know Jesus, and he walked with us as we grew in our faith as well. So we are currently in our series titled Masterclass. Uh, so a masterclass is a class given by an expert to a highly talented students. So this could be music, this could be science or painting or drama or any other occasion where there is a skill that people want to be developed. Um, for the past month, we've talked about different topics such as salvation uh, to our value and worth or to living a lifestyle of worship. Um, and we've heard from very passionate people about these topics, right, from Bailey and Jocelyn and Pastor Jim, who are experts in these topics because they've studied and they've experienced it. So um, while I can agree with Bailey and Joss that I am no master in any sense of the word in anything in my life, I am also though very passionate about different things. If any of you follow me on social media, it'll be very clear what I'm passionate about, right? Dr. Pepper, come on, somebody. Yes, in the back, yes. Plants, come on. I'm, a, I'm obsessed with plants. I have a whole house. I have another, yeah, there we go. We're going to have to talk after service. We we're, we're, have the same passions. Um, I have a whole room in my house just dedicated to plants. So, yeah, Bailey, Bailey has allowed that. So, um, I love plants. I love Dr. Pepper, but I also love crafting, crocheting, and sewing. You know, I'm not a master at any of those things, but I'm so passionate about it, and I love to share it with others, and I love to just share about it. Um, but more deeper than that, I am super passionate about the Lord, and I'm super passionate about his word. And this passion was birthed from that one invitation on the school bus, right? That's where it started. Um, growing up, our church was small. I'm telling, like, really, really small. We were this little white church on a hill who had less than 100 people in our congregation. Um, so everybody knew everybody, right? Your business was not safe. It was either in the church bulletin board or in the prayer group, all right? That's, that's how small our church was. Um, but one of my favorite things about being from a small church um, was that we ate, and we ate often. All right, can I get an amen from anybody? Come on. You're, you know you're already thinking about your lunch plans after this, right? <laughs> but we had church potlucks, and we had them often. And every church has this one lady who can't make anything better than a homemade casserole, right? We had that lady. And if you grew up going to small churches, you know just the amazingness of a church potluck. And don't even get me started about the chili cook-offs. All right, listen, we, come on, we had our chili cook-off, we had maybe three here at Real Life. Our small little AG church, 
dozens. It like spanned the entire room. It was awesome. Talk about an after church, you know, food coma. It was great. Um, but there were two things that we were great at at our small little AG church. Of course, it was eating food, but, and it was also loving God. Um, although we were a small church, what I loved most about it was that we had a heavy focus on missions. I remember being in middle school and looking throughout the entire sanctuary, and they had pictures posted of all the different missionaries they supported. All around the world, dozens and dozens of missionaries were being supported, financially supported, prayerfully supported by a church of less than 100. Missionaries would come in and speak regularly. They would speak and give updates on their time in the mission field, and they would speak about the miracles taking places in places like Tanzania and Mexico and all throughout the Middle East. Um, so growing up in this environment, you know, when faith was new to me, I didn't have the faith of my parents to rely on, so I had to have my own faith. But growing up in this environment, I gained such a respect for those who answer the call for missions. As a missionary, you typically have this card. Uh, this is my friend Alicia, who will be coming up soon. You have this card that you give out if you come and speak at a service. Um, and I encourage you to get one of Alicia's when she, she's done here. Um, but they, you, you give it out, and they have, typically have your picture and your name and where you're serving, how they can support. Um, but my sister and I grew up in the generation of Pokemon cards, right? So we would collect, like, every single one of these cards, and we would hang them up and, like, put them up in our room. And, like, we just have, like, just dozens of uh, these missionary cards in our room. I mean, we were surrounded by missions growing up thanks to our little church. Um, but I grew up watching people. They weren't special, right? They're just like you and me. Um, but I grew up watching these people who all they did was they just put their yes on the table and they left behind what was comfortable and they stepped into a mission field where in most places uh, the name of Jesus has never been preached or has never been heard in their native language. So growing up in this environment definitely had a personal impact on me. I personally spent extended time overseas in a missions program when I was in college. I had the awesome opportunity to live in Nicaragua for eight months um, as a student missionary and then just doing multiple trips back um, with those same missionaries that I used to live with. Uh, so missions is something that I'm very passionate about. And missions is God's heart. So today, I'm going to be talking about God's mission and discipleship and how every single one of us have a role to play when it comes to that. Are we ready, church? All right. You're going to have to get louder with me. Are we ready, church? There it is. That's what we wanted. All right. So we're going to start uh, with what the Apostle Paul tells the, the church in Corinthians. He says this, 2 Corinthians 5.20. It'll be up on the screen here. He says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. All of us here today are Christ's ambassadors. So when you hear the word ambassador, you might automatically think a politician, someone who represents a nation in a far-off land, or some diplomat whose job it is to be the go-between between two foreign countries. Um, this person's job is to negotiate agreements, meet with foreign leaders, even play the part of a peacemaker when trouble arises. Now, when the apostle Paul talks about it, in 2 Corinthians, that we are ambassadors. What, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? So an early Christian in, in Paul's time would have read that an ambassador, they would have thought of, thought of it as someone who represented one state or a land to another, another person. They were the official representatives of the one who sent them, and they were therefore treated with the utmost respect. It was a well-known title, one that carried uh, that great deal of respect and dignity, and it warranted the great decorum on the part of the ambassador, the sender, and the receiver. So here's what Paul means by an ambassador of Christ. He means that Christians should see themselves as representatives of God and were to behave accordingly. They had an important job to do, 
to show showcase Christ and deliver his message so others could know him too. Church, that is our job title today. As an ambassador of Christ, we are to showcase Christ and to deliver his message so others could know him too. That is why we're here today. So all of us in this room today who call Jesus our savior are ambassadors for him. And as an ambassador for Christ, we also take on this role of a disciple. I believe these two kind of go hand in hand. Discipleship is a word that is thrown around a lot um, in the church, especially when it comes to community and life groups and all of that. It's thrown around a lot. Um, But I believe you can't have true missions without discipleship, and you can't have discipleship without missions. These two realities also go hand in hand. Um, So in basic terms, here's what discipleship is. It's teaching people how to know and be like Jesus, to obey God and see the best for his life. It happens in real life with real people, and it's talking about and chasing after a real God. That's what discipleship is, and we are all a part of it in our lives, in our circles, wherever we're at, discipleship happens So discipleship is what God called the first disciples to and what he's calling us to do 2,000 years later. This is the mission of God. Are we following me today, church? All right, good. So I have two points today that I'm going to cover in regards to missions and discipleship. We're going to cover being a disciple of Jesus, and then we're going to talk about making disciples of Jesus. So let's go over this first point, being a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? I believe that a disciple of Jesus learns from him. So if we take a look back into the first century, a a disciple would attach himself uh, to another person in order to gain practical knowledge or like theoretical knowledge by either instruction or experience. It was a a word used by apprentices learning a trade as well as students learning like a teacher's philosophy. So discipleship was a super popular uh, concept in Jesus's time. It was often the custom for disciples to leave their natural home and to move in with their teachers who would then provide their food and lodging. The disciple would become his servant and would be completely under the teacher's authority. Their goal was to learn all that their teacher knew so that they could be like him, character, and later be able to faithfully transmit his teachings to others. So many Jewish teachers expected their disciples to remember and to pass on their teachings. But here's the thing. Jesus was a different teacher. Jesus demanded more. Jesus called people, called his disciples, to value him more than their own life. This is what, in Luke 9.23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus' disciples were leaving their careers. They were leaving their possessions, and they were leaving their families to follow Jesus. Jesus called people to value him more than any financial security, which is not a topic we like to talk about in the American church when we talk about money. But Jesus summoned a rich young ruler. He wanted to follow Jesus, and he said, you know, donate everything you have to the poor, then you can follow me. Jesus demanded, or Jesus He called people to value him more than their material worth. The disciples literally forsook all as they began their journey with Jesus. So what does this mean? They turned back on their former life to follow Jesus. This was a choice, and this was a commitment. Listen to what Jesus told the crowd in Luke 14, 33. He says this, So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. Can you imagine being that crowd, wanting to like hear an encouraging word from Jesus, and he turns around and says, Listen, you need to forsake all if you want to follow me. That's That's a hard truth to follow. Jesus was telling a crowd of people the cost of following him, that there's sacrifice when we follow Jesus, that if we really want to be his disciples, we must realize that everything belongs to him. 
A few verses earlier, Jesus insists that his disciples must love him more than their own families. He warns his disciples that no one can be a disciple unless they take up their cross and follow him, loving Jesus more than life itself. Jesus demanded a lot from his disciples than the average rabbi of the first century. Is this making you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Right? But here's a question. Did the disciples get 100% on their discipleship homework? No. No, they didn't. Here's the beauty of it. This is the beauty of it. The disciples failed. And Jesus knew that they would. My goodness, that's a lot of things to live up to. But Jesus knew they would fail. And uh, yet he still called them. Right When Jesus was arrested, the disciples said, Jesus, I'll go with you. I'll take up my cross. Give me one. I'll go with you. No, they ran. The disciples ran. They abandoned Jesus. And his last hours of his life at Gethsemane were the disciples on their face before God, praying, God, please, 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 don't take Jesus. No, they fell asleep. The disciples literally fell asleep on Jesus at the last hour. His leading disciple denied him. Another disciple betrayed him. They did not win. They did not get 100% on their homework, people. But here's the beauty of it. Jesus still went to the cross anyways. Come on, that is the truth. That for all who would be his followers whether they're going to get 100% or they're going to fail him and deny him and fall asleep on him. He offered his life, not because we were perfect, but because he knew what he could make us to be. That's good news for somebody in the house, that as we continue to walk with Jesus, he teaches us his heart. And the better we get to know him, the more we want to become like him. And that's good news because it doesn't matter if you fail or if you mess up, because we're all human. And let me save you the heartache, you will mess up. We will all mess up, but that's why there is beauty and grace and mercy. And Jesus did not turn away from his disciples when they abandoned him or denied him. And he didn't cast them aside or made them feel guilty um, for, for being human. Instead, you know what Jesus did? He filled them with power and he encouraged them to go out into the world and spread the good news of what he already accomplished on the cross. That's what he did for his disciples then, and that's exactly what he does for us today. The disciples learned from Jesus, and they did that by spending time with him. And not only did they listen to Jesus' teachings, right? It's not just important just to listen. They did what he said. For us today, church, uh, we don't have the advantage of being face-to-face with Jesus. You know, I'm not sure if any of you are, uh, how many of you are are familiar with The Chosen, but it is a phenomenal TV series right now. Um, But just to, to see how the disciples got to be with Jesus, to fellowship with Jesus, to ask him questions, to see the miracles, you know, it was beautiful. Yet we don't have that advantage today, but what do we, what do we have today, church. As followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Can I remind you guys that that is the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, lives on the inside of you. This is a truth that we're going to celebrate in the next coming weeks with Easter, right? What we have as modern-day believers is the blessings that come from Christ's sacrifice on the cross, that we can walk in forgiveness today, right? That we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we can experience the real presence of God with us any time of the day, right? It doesn't just have to be on a Sunday. It can be on a Tuesday evening, right? We can experience the God wherever we are because of what Jesus did for us. That same Holy Spirit is with us. Anytime we even open up the scriptures, God is right there. Because do you realize that Whatever you have in your hand, that Bible is a living, breathing document. It is God speaking right to you. 
And that same Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us, he guides us and he teaches us how good of Jesus to say, hey, I'm leaving you, but don't, I'm not leaving you alone. I am going to send you a helper. That guys, we are walking with a helper today. We might not have Jesus with us, you know, face to face, but we have a helper living on the inside of us who says, I will guide you. I will teach you the way that you need to go. So we have God's word with us. And here's the thing. We don't read the word of God to check off the good deeds list of the day, right? I prayed, check. I read my Bible, check, right? We read it to gain insight and to hear from the almighty creator of the universe, right? That is when we have a meeting with God. Listen, I tell my youth students, even if it's just a verse, that verse is still alive and it's active, right? So we might not have Jesus with us physically, but we, have, we must never overlook the tangible blessings that we are currently walking in as modern day believers. So a disciple learns from Jesus and stays close to him. And, and I believe it's this proximity to Jesus through daily Bible reading and prayer and community and, and with other believers, that it helps us be a disciple, right? It might feel like a checkoff, but these things are helping us grow closer to Christ, right? And, and to be a disciple. Uh, being a disciple of Jesus, followers of Jesus, means that we choose Jesus, not just when it's easy during worship or on a Sunday morning, right? That we represent Jesus as an ambassador for him. Uh, that we choose Jesus and we intentionally represent him wherever we go, all right? We choose Jesus when we're in traffic on Peachtree right after service, y'all, all right? I know many of you might go hit up Chipotle, Texas Roadhouse, whatever. Listen, after church traffic on Peach, you got to represent Jesus, all right? So we choose Jesus when we're at the office, okay? And we have a conflict with that one coworker. You know who it is. Come on, that, per that coworker came to mind. You know who that coworker is, we choose to represent Jesus when we're at school, right? My youth students, my high school, middle schoolers, my college students, when we're at school, we represent Jesus. When we're waiting in the line at the store and it's taking forever, when we're faced with bad news or uncertainty, when it's hard, when we're faced with temptations or we feel the pressure to just be like the world, we choose Jesus. As an ambassador of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, we choose him. We choose to stay close to Jesus, not just when we're in the mountaintop, right? You know, we can scream Jesus from the mountaintop. Bailey said that earlier. We can scream Jesus from the mountaintop, but how much more is it going to mean when we scream Jesus as we're walking through the valley, right? That we choose Jesus wherever we go because he's good in the valley, He's good in the mountaintop. He's good in that conflict with that coworker or in the hard moments and the temptations. He's still good. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? A disciple stays close to Jesus, chooses Jesus, and learns from him. Last week, Jocelyn mentioned certain attributes of God's character. And I believe being a disciple means putting your trust in and learning from a God who is light, love, justice and judgment, anger and wrath, mercy and loving kindness, grace and power, that is the God we serve. And being a disciple of Jesus is just saying, I'm gonna choose to just believe God that you are all of those things and just holding on to that. So that's what being a disciple of Jesus is about. So what does it mean to make disciples of Jesus? Um, in light of being a disciple, let's take a look at that. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says this, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me and, he, and them in this is the disciples. So he's speaking to the disciples. He says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and then the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Amen. So if you were going to ask me, 
what the purpose and the plan is for us as Christians and for the church. It's this church. It's this. It's the Great Commission. This is the mission statement. These are our marching orders. In some of your Bibles, this section might be titled the Great Commission. And what does commission mean? It's the authoritative command. It's a directive from Jesus himself. Meaning what Jesus says in Matthew 28 here, this is not a suggestion, right? Jesus is saying this with all the authority that he has and has given to him. However, many of us have taken the great commission and have swapped it for the great suggestion. We read, our, we read that in our Bibles and say, oh, that's great, Jesus. I'll go. When I feel like it or when the time's right or when I feel like I have the boldness to do it or when I don't feel like I have a tummy ache, you know, I'll go. But instead of taking the gospels to the end of the earth, many of us won't even take the gospel to the end of the street or even to the cubicle or the office right next to ours, right? They already know you love Jesus. Some of them are just waiting for an invite to church. Many of us are in awe of what God did in our lives, but we won't ever openly share that with a neighbor or a family member or a classmate who doesn't know Jesus for fear that, what, they'll make fun of you? All right, they killed Jesus. You know what I mean? We're satisfied to be saved, but we're not motivated to see others come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The great commission is not a suggestion. This is a command from Jesus for all of us who believe in him and call him our savior. And I think somehow we've come to believe that the end of our responsibility is to come to church a couple times a week, pray when we can, read the Bible every now and then, and live a life that is slightly cleaner than the world around us. We have forgotten the truth that Christianity is an active faith. Our calling is to go it's not to stay quiet. It's not to be passive, right? That's why we were doing these things for Easter. Easter is the best celebration there is in the Christian faith, right? That's why we're going to go out into our communities with 35,000 eggs. We're going to go big. Why? Because it's going to draw people to this so that they can maybe have the opportunity to know Jesus, right? Our calling orders is not to just endure, endure to the end, but it's to storm the very gates of hell, church. Our orders are to not sit by while the world drops off. Our orders are to go into the world and to tell them the glorious news of a crucified and risen Savior. And this Savior specializes in saving souls and changing lives and eternal destinies. This is the responsibility of a disciple, of a Christian. Real Christianity is a belief in a real and a living God. We are not serving a dead God, right? Our God did not just die 2,000 years ago and is still dead in that tomb, church. We are celebrating this truth in a couple weeks for Easter that our God is not dead, right? He is alive and he's coming again. That's good news for somebody, right? We serve a God who is living. And can I remind you today, church, that our God still saves, our God still moves, our God still heals today. He still makes a way for people to know him, but it is our responsibility to bring the message of the gospel to all who would hear. This is our responsibility, church, because there are people in your places, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your classrooms, in the places where you grocery shop, right? There are people who need to hear the truth of the living God who loves them. And what would it look like if we truly believed in the gospel? Let me tell you something, if we believed in the gospel, sure, we might get scared. It's, it's nerve-wracking to tell people about Jesus sometimes. But I will gladly take that nervousness and that anxiety and that, you know, scaredness, you know, and ask God, God, through your Holy Spirit, give me the boldness, give me that empowerment, just so that I can invite a coworker to church. But I'll gladly step in that if that means someone else got to experience the joy and the freedom that I walk in daily. 
that we have friends and family members and coworkers who have never experienced the, the freedom that comes from salvation in Jesus, that they don't know the peace that you carry. They don't know the joy that you carry. If we truly believed in the gospel and the power that comes with it, I believe we would be the representation of the goodness of God wherever we're at, in our homes, behind closed doors, when we're in traffic, when we're at a work, you know, and we're in a work conflict, when we have bad days, when we're on the mountaintops or the valleys. When we believe in the gospel and the power of the gospel, it changes us. And it changes how we live and how we do life. It changes those around us. The gospel is powerful. And we are seeing that all throughout the world. But the beauty is, it's not just, you know, out there. It's happening right here, church. It's happening in our own backyards. And I'm going to have Alicia come on up. Um, There is a great move of God happening um, just in our city as well. So Alicia is the director of Penn State Barron Chi Alpha, um, where they're seeing this whole discipleship and missions bring dozens of students in. um, And God is just showing off. So Alicia, feel free to share everything. Awesome. Well, excited to be here today with you guys. And I thought instead of trying to explain like what it looks like, I thought we'd take a moment to kind of experience it for ourselves. So if you guys would take a minute, close your eyes. I know you won't fall asleep because Caitlin is preaching an incredible word right now. Uh, But I want you to close your eyes and think about being a college freshman. I want you to think about the nerves, the anxiety, the excitement of it. Picture yourself in a car. Your dad's driving, all your stuff's in the back seat, you're heading to college three hours away from home, and you're pulling off the highway, you know it's close, you're getting there soon, and you're excited. You get to make your own decisions, you get to do what you want to do. Your parents don't know that every move you make from now on, you're excited about that, but you're also nervous. You know no one in this new place, you know nothing about it other than that it's a school with your degree and you're going to go major in it there, right? So you pull up, there's people all around, there's upperclassmen, they know each other, they're already having picnics and tossing a football around on the quad, and um, you go to your dorm, and you meet no one, right? You get a key, you walk up, your parents move you in, there's a tearful goodbye, and then you're alone in this dorm room with a roommate you don't really know, and you sit there and you say, okay, this is it, here I am in college And the next day goes by, you go to the cafeteria, you see people knowing each other, you still don't know anyone there. And um, it's Sunday morning and you say, man, well, I don't have a car, so I can't go to church. And you go the next day, classes start, you're excited to learn, you go to your freshman seminar and this professor starts talking about things that completely go against what you learned in church as a kid. And all of a sudden you now have no friends and you're learning things that go completely against everything you've been taught. You make it to Friday, you're kind of getting to know some people that you've had class with. It's getting a little better, and all of a sudden, one of those classmates says, hey, I'm going to this party across the street. Do you want to come with me tonight? And you say, well, I have no friends. I have no plans. I might as well come with you. You go to this party. Someone offers you something to drink. You're not going to say no because you don't know anyone, right? And you end up completely drunk by the end of the night. You wake up the next morning. You don't know where you are. And by the end of that month, you've been going to party after party, learning thing after thing in class that's completely against what you learned before. And you look and you say, where am I? And what has happened in this past month? So you guys can open your eyes. Uh, There are over 20 million college students in America right now. 20 million. And most of them, if there's not a campus ministry on their university, that's the reality they're facing. They're facing coming to school and learning things that are completely against what they learned with classmates that are doing things that they never imagined themselves doing, but they think, well, what am I supposed to do? This is what you do when you're in college, right? So I want to rewind that track. Go back to that being you being that freshman going to college, and let's picture a school with a Chi Alpha. Let's picture you coming to Penn State Barron this fall. You drive up, you pull, out, you pull into your parking spot, and there's people there that are saying hi to you. They're greeting you. They're wanting to help you move your stuff in, right? You get talking to them, and they, you find out they go to church down the road, and they have a car. So the next day, you're going to church with them, and you're getting plugged into a really awesome church in the area. And they say, hey, I'm involved in this thing called Chi Alpha. Do you want to come with me on Monday? You come to this worship service, and all of a sudden, you're in a church service just like you were back home a Sunday ago, 
but it's a Monday night and you're surrounded by your classmates who are all worshiping Jesus and praising him. And you keep going and you keep coming to these things. You're making friends through your environment in Chi Alpha. And all of a sudden you get to the end of that first month and you're, you imagine your life, it's so much different than you ever would have imagined it being. You're surrounded by people who love the Lord, who are showing you this is what it looks like to love Jesus in college. You're seeing the parties going on. You're seeing people chase relationships that are not going to end anywhere good. But you found your people. You found people who love Jesus and who want to help you love him more. And that is basically the why of Chi Alpha. That's why we do what we do. Um, so if you don't know anything about Chi Alpha, Chi Alpha Campus Ministries is the college ministry of the Assemblies of God. So all of us who work with Chi Alpha, we're Assemblies of God U.S. missionaries that we're sent, we are sent to the college campuses that we're on. Um, and like Caitlin was saying, I'm the campus pastor at Penn State Barron. And uh, there are 300 campuses in the United States that have Chi Alphas on them at this current moment. Every year, we're adding more to that list. And Caitlin actually shared the verse that I wanted to share this morning, um, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Christ ambassadors is actually where we get the term Chi Alpha from. So from the moment our students come, they're entering, they're joining our groups, and they're like, what's Chi Alpha? It's not a sorority like everyone always thinks it is. Um, we're a Christian group on campus, and we say, yeah, we're Chi Alpha because we're called Christ ambassadors. And it's not just about me being Christ ambassador as the campus pastor, but it's about them learning that you guys as students, the people that were ministering to, you are called to be Christ's ambassadors. And you're placed on this campus. Maybe, yes, God's calling you there to get the degree that you're getting to go into that career, but it's because there are others on that campus that need to know the gospel that you know, and he wants you to share it with them. Uh, one verse I wanted to read was Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. I think this just goes along so well with what Caitlin's been preaching. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So what it's saying in that verse, to shorten it, it says Christ gave himself, so he, he called pastors, but he didn't call pastors and teachers and prophets to do the work of ministry. He called them to equip the people who can go reach the other people to do the works of ministry. It's not about the pastors doing all the work. It's about the pastors being able to equip the people in the pews or in my context to equip the students on campus to be able to do the work of ministry on campus, to reach students that we could never reach. And I'm excited to share that that's been what's that's what's been happening at Penn State Barron for the past four years. Uh, we started Chi Alpha in 2019, so right before COVID, not the most exciting best time to start a ministry. Uh, we faced a lot of different things. I learned how to preach with a mask on, which is not a pleasant experience at all. Um, but through that time, we saw God be faithful. And I think it's remembering, you know, in ministry and discipleship as ministries and churches as a whole, but also personally, as we're discipling people, I've heard so many pastors say, how do you define how do you define success in ministry? How do you define success in missions? And the answer is faithfulness. We know the Lord's going to be faithful and he's calling us to be faithful to the people that we're around. And that's all we're asking of our students is like, guys, you love the Lord. You're coming here. You're coming and being involved. Would you go and love other people and be faithful to be a part of their lives? And as you're a part of their lives, they're going to see Jesus in you and you're going to get chances to share Jesus with them. Um, you guys have some examples and people in your church that were a part of our ministry. If anyone knows Angie and Pierce, um, they were some of our first student leaders that were involved in Chi Alpha. And they brought students to this church here because they were connected to them through Chi Alpha that was happening at Penn State Barron. And one of the things I love so much is that, um, one, it goes beyond my reach. There were students on the softball team that Angie brought to Chi Alpha, that Angie brought to real life during her time that I would have never met, that you would have never met. You would have never had a chance to meet those softball girls, but Angie was faithful to be on that team, to love those girls and to show them the love of Jesus. And now because of that, they're serving their lives. They're serving the Lord with their lives. And so that's just like a small example of what we're about in Chi Alpha. We're about discipleship. We're about helping students know this is what it looks like to be a disciple, like Caitlin was saying, but then pushing them further to that to say, and it's your responsibility to be Christ's ambassadors to this campus. Um, so kind of an update on what's happening with Chi Alpha at Penn State Barron. God is on the move. You guys have heard just what God's been doing across the nation on college campuses, and I'm so excited to share that that's what's happening at Penn State Barron. Uh, we have really just 
exponential growth in so many ways over this past year. We've only had a large group service for two years, and this semester we've been seeing, there were some nights we had like 70 students coming out to worship, and it's not just like they're there, and they're sitting there, and they're texting, or they're, you know, whatever's going on. They're excited to be there. I was out of town this past Monday, and I texted my friend who was leading worship, and I said, hey, like, how'd service go? And she said, it was awesome. Worship was loud. And that's been the repeated answer people have given, is not loud because the speakers are loud, loud because everyone in the audience is singing so passionately. These students don't care what people think about them. They know they love the Lord, and they want to come to worship. And it's contagious. It's growing all around campus. Every week, someone's like, oh, yeah, I brought this friend. I brought that friend. Um, and it is just the beginning for us. Um, there's so much hunger in these students. They want to know God. They want to live for him. And they're doing it. And even just this next year, um, be praying for us as we continue to grow, that God would help us just to sto steward that growth well. Right now, we have three student leaders, and it's looking like we're probably going to quadruple our leadership team for next year to be able to reach even more students than ever before. Um, so that's a little bit about Baron Chi Alpha and just the impact that discipleship can really have on a community. What's happening at Penn State Barron can happen at your office, can happen in the high schools that you're involved in or wherever you're connected. It's just about being faithful to the people God's placed in your life and sharing his love with them through your interactions, but then also taking time to share the gospel with them. So yeah, that's a little about Chi Alpha. That's awesome. Come on, can we give it up for Alicia? So awesome. All right, the band can come on up. I am just in awe. I've been with Alicia. We've been friends for years and years and years. So to see uh, Chi Alpha from the start, to see that they now have to be in a new building because of the students that are, are coming. And it's just awesome. And it's not just taking place just at Barron. We have some Edinburgh Chi Alpha people here as well. I mean, it is happening, not just you know in our city, but all around the world. And it is just such a beautiful thing. So um, I did bring a prop with me. I wasn't just going to have this rope up here just for decor. Um, but uh, in regards to missions, we need this rope, all right? I also didn't realize how long this rope was whenever I bought it. Um, it's 50 feet, if you were wondering. Um, but there is this analogy that I heard uh, years ago at, at a mission summit. And it was by William Carey, who he was considered the father of the modern missionary movement. And he challenged those that would listen to obey their responsibility to take the gospel to the unreached lands. Carrie himself was going to be among a group that was going to go to India um, as missionaries. And during his farewell service with his church, Carrie uh, met with some leaders. And these leaders promised Carrie, as he went forth in God's name, they would never cease till death to stand by him. And in this service, it was as if Carrie was saying, well, I will go down if you will hold the rope. And his brother saying, while we live, we should never let go of the rope. Carrie saying, I'm going to India and I'm going down into the pit, but you need to hold the rope. I'm going down, but I need people to support me. There are two sides to this rope. One side is for those that will go down into the pits and preach the gospel and see God set the captives free and see God lift them out of the miry clay and place their feet on the rock to stay, right? Other versions say that this pit is a slimy pit, the pit of despair, the horrible pit. How many of you have been in the pit? All of us. But there's a promise in that, in that one verse in Psalm 40 that when God lifts us out of a pit, he puts us on our feet uh, and puts us in a firm place to stand. The majority of us here are standing on that promise. We are standing on that firm and solid rock. We are on the outside of this rope, right? We're no longer in the pit. Praise God. We're no longer in the pit. But there's still another side to this rope, right? There is a side that goes into the pit and physically goes to the college campuses or to, uh, you know, the unreached places of our world. But then there's a side on the top of the pit, right? There's a side of the rope that, uh, that holds the rope. This side holds the rope. And there are those that hold the rope that they support 
and they stand with those in the pit, right? Alicia's in the pit right now. Hold this. Alicia's in the pit right now, right? And, and just pretend with that this rope is shorter, all right, than it is. But then there are those on the other side of the pit saying, I'm not going to let go of this rope. As you go down there, as you go where you're at in your places and you're preaching the gospel to these college students who they rather study their math textbook than they would rather preach, you know, study the gospels, but you are faithful in that, I'm gonna be faithful to hold my side of the rope, right? We need both of these, church. We need people to go down into the pit, but we need to be people that hold the rope, right? We cannot underestimate the power of prayer. If you're holding the rope, Church, you gotta pray, right? Jesus says this in Luke 10, 12, 10, 2, the harvest is plentiful, right? 20 million college students all across the campus, that harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So Jesus says this, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. Jesus asked us to pray to him that he would send workers Alicia is an answer to someone praying for their college student to know Jesus, right? We must pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest for him to send more workers into the field. So those that hold the rope pray. They give, right? They pray that God will bring boldness to new Christians who face persecution in their faith all around the world and many in the Middle East. They pray that God will reveal themselves in dreams as he has been doing with those in the Islam culture. They pray, right, if you hold the rope, you pray that God will use tangible resources like the water wells in Africa through WorldServe, that they continue to build a bridge to communities where the name of Jesus uh, can be preached. Pray that God will rise up a generation that will say no to the world and yes to God's calling on their life. Those that hold the rope will pray that God will bring up a generation of parents, right, who would rather see their children obey the call of God on their lives than for them to sit and be comfortable and climb the corporate ladder, right? We need people, don't get me wrong, we need people in business, but we still need, you know, we still need strong Christian people in the in workplace. But man, may we be a people who we steward our family to go after the things of God. That our children will de develop a love for Jesus that starts in the home at the dinner that at the dinner table. That's discipleship, right? It can start in your home. That our teens will find themselves in the presence of God and they want to live out the calling that God placed on their life. That as adults, we will answer the call of God to support and raise money for missionaries. Um, listen, this is why we're doing our Live to Give. We're not just doing it just to raise money so we can have money as a church. We're doing it so that we can have money to bless these ministries, to bless these, that they're not, you know, their reach is so much further than just ours, you know, personally. Um, so being the one that holds the other side of the rope, right, means that we give. Disciples of Jesus learn from him, and then they give him away. That we give generally, generously to the cause of Jesus, to the cause of missions. And I'm loving that Real Life is doing this Live to Give campaign, and that we can be generous to these organizations. So in a broad sense of discipleship, right, we are both of these people, right? We're on the pit. We're holding the rope. Yet, if we aren't going to be the ones in the pit and go overseas to those who have never heard the name of Jesus, we must be the ones holding the rope, supporting, financially giving to these ministries, right? And if you've, nev if you've never supported a missionary, wonderful job. I brought one here for you today right? Um, come see Alicia. God is doing such an, a wonderful thing. It's an amazing opportunity to just plug into that ministry um, and just be a part of holding the rope, holding the rope for Alicia, who is um, just the, the brains behind, you know, everything that's, that's going on. Um, but we also have, you know, we have two ways this morning that we can hold the rope as a church. Come see Alicia. She has these cards, I did take one, you can have mine as well. It has all of her information on it. She'd love to talk to you even just about 
being a part of her prayer group of, of praying for these college students. So that's a way. But we also have our track fundraiser and I, something about real life, we love food, all right? So go get some food. That is a way that we can uh, hold the rope for our foster teens in Erie, even if it means just buying a meal. That is how we can hold the rope for them. So there's no other option today, church. As followers and disciples of Jesus, it's either going down into the pit or it's holding the rope. So would you, would you stand with me, church? I'm gonna ask that we all close our eyes. So what is our next step, right? There's a lot of options here. Maybe the next step for you is signing up for baptisms. Taking the class on Wednesday and declaring that you're Team Jesus this following Sunday. Maybe that's your next step for you. Maybe being a disciple of Jesus means that you join a small group that are gonna be happening in April where you can grow in community with other believers and grow in your knowledge of Christ and in that community. Maybe you're called to the mission field and you've ran from that call. Maybe you're the one who needs to go down into the pit wherever you're at in your circles, in your workplaces. You need to be the one that's going into the pit. Or maybe you're here today and you just need to pick up your rope. You need to pray and you need to support the cause of missions because missions is God's heart. We all have a part to play. And the question is today, what is yours? What is your part to play? And only you can answer that. So Alicia is gonna pray us out. Like I said, you have, you, if you don't have an answer, I can give you two. Go get some food and support track. Come see Alicia and get a card from her. Talk to her about what everything God is doing. And start. Jesus says, go, church, let's go. Let's be a part of what God is doing. God, we thank you that you're not a far off God, but you're a God that calls us to be your disciple. That first and foremost, before anything else, we get to come and sit at your feet every day. We get to come and live with your Holy Spirit inside of us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, thankful for the, thank you for the gift of your spirit, for the gift of being your disciple, Lord. May we remember this week the joy that it is, the opportunity that it is not a burden, it's not an obligation, but God, we get to live in relationship with you and we thank you for that. And Lord, would you call us deeper? God, how can we be a disciple that makes disciples and not just a disciple that keeps it all to ourself? Lord, would you bring right now to the mind of everyone in this church, who are the people that we need to share your love with? Who's the coworker, the family member, the friend, the stranger we don't even know, but we're gonna meet this week. God, would you already be softening our hearts for these people and giving us the courage to share with them? And Lord, beyond that, what is a new way that you're calling us to be a part of your work on this, in this world, Lord? Are you calling us to support a missionary? Are you calling us to be a counselor at track this summer? God, how do you want us to be a part of what you're doing? We have one life to live, Lord, and we don't wanna miss it. We don't wanna squander the opportunities you have ahead of us because we're nervous or we're scared or we're selfish. God, would you make us a people who love you and want to share your love with other people? So Jesus, we love you. We surrender our lives to you. Show us the next step to take. And God, we trust that you will be with us. That end of the Great Commission, it ends by saying, you are with us always, even to the very end of the age. We're not called to make disciples on our own. We're called to make disciples with you. So God, we love you. We trust you. Lord, show us the next step to take and give us the willingness to be obedient to your call. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen, church.